1: This is Pretty Much Pop, a culture podcast recording remotely, lest any guest suddenly be startled into homicidal rage. Today, we're talking about Jordan Peele's new film, Nope, as an exemplar of his unique genre-crossing style. I'm Mark linton also despite appearances, not a spaceship.
0: My name is Lawrence Ware, long longtime guest on the podcast, someone who none of you have ever said anything bad about my audio quality, so I'm happy and thankful that that's been <laughs> the case thus far.
2: My name is Sarah Lynn Brooke. I am a writer and a writing professor and rest in peace Fries Electronics. I miss that place.
3: What the hell is, is this? it a real? regional Wait. thing? I guess that's real. It's East awesome Coast. and it's gone. <laughs> I am Nicole. I am a media artist and a podcaster. I've been on the show before and I am a co-host of Remakes, Reboots and Revivals with Rolando. Are you guys going to tell me what's going on with that cloud over there?
1: Uh, and I've been impressed it seems like you and Rolando who was on the show again just recently typically bring to your show a sort of critical theory there's some definitely analytical tools there I feel like when we were all just on with Rolando talking Jurassic Park there were no analytical tools it was just like I (laughs) like this part I didn't like this part I think this is going to be a meteor film for us to sink into There's there's so many more because we started off Jurassic Park with like yeah it's a dumb dinosaur movie what do you want? Like, but this one, whatever it is, it's not a dumb monster movie. It is something else. Who wants to start? And can we just say we're going to spoil
0: this immediately? I already from the get go. That's good. I mean, I don't think you can talk about this movie without spoiling it. Yeah,
3: yeah, it's really hard. I just want to say that I was really excited because it's not often that I go to the movies and I don't know what to expect. I feel like they put too much in trailers nowadays, and it's almost like the only way that they can get you to a theater if it's not Marvel or Disney or Star Wars is if they tell you the whole movie. And so I didn't really get what was going on from the trailers. And that's something that doesn't happen enough. I mean, I'm always excited to be back in the theater. The theaters are just, they're getting better and better at being what they used to be. And then having that kind of like, I have no idea what I'm in for. And so I really appreciated that off the get-go of just seeing this movie.
2: I did too. I loved also just while... Experiencing the movie moment by moment, I didn't know what was going to happen either. I loved not being able to predict anything. It felt like a ride. I loved it.
3: Yeah,
0: that seems like that's kind of Jordan Peele's thing. Uh, Jordan Peele is kind of moving into, if he hasn't already gotten there, into like the realm of Christopher Nolan, where the films are very, very complex, multi layered. Also, he does a really good job of like making sure that you don't know what's going on inside of the film. And also, We can talk about this later, but I'm afraid of him moving into the realm of M. Night Shyamalan, where there's like a twist or something. And it seems like the movie is reliant upon the twist. He's one of the few film directors who can open a film with just his name. Like Christopher Nolan, that's that's a name. Steven Spielberg, of course, that's a name. James Cameron is a name. And it's kind of remarkable that this is his third film that he already kind of already has a name like that.
3: Funny story. My mom was like, "Oh, it reminded me of that movie Signs." Yeah, like, exactly. exactly. it Was like, exactly, and that yeah. was his third film too, M Night Shyamalan. So there is a similar trajectory almost. But he so. is
2: absolutely inserting himself as a filmmaker in that legacy of those big filmmakers. You know, he is, and he makes several references to M Night. He's makes some references to Jaws. You know, Spielberg. It had a very Spielbergian feel to it in some moments. Even the music sounded like music that could have been used in other films. And the fact that he was also jumping, it seemed like it's hard to kind of classify his films as pure horror or pure suspense or Western. Within the same film, he jumps around in different genres, which I thought was really exciting.
3: There definitely seemed to be so many things going on with like, film appreciation but then like social commentary. Yes, many social commentaries about our addictions to phones or what is believable and what not and then the whole animal commentary. There was like it was kind of jammed packed, but it didn't feel as heavy as at least his last film, us, in terms of at least what he's trying to say to the audience.
1: So I went and saw this with two of my brothers-in-law, two of the Casey brothers who have both been on the show and Interestingly, Brian found it unwatchable, found it like he would have walked out if he wasn't with us. He would have turned really? it off. It was streaming. And my take, and I think Dylan's take, where it's more like, you know, what there are definitely parts that were super enjoyable. And I have so much goodwill. I think Jordan Peele has just generated so much goodwill, really just from Get Out, from his Key and Peele, the going to Get Out. That was such an amazing trajectory right there that it is with the comic background. He's like Shyamalan but he didn't have to earn it all just with the sixth sense. Like Shyamalan with a prehistory that a lot of people liked as well that make it even more surprising that he would then produce this really high point. And I do see this Shyamalan trajectory that they're getting more, I'm going to say, self-indulgent. It's like he had some really good ideas. I think that actually this thing with the monkey was the first idea that he had, according to what I was reading. You know, it was like a dream he had that he woke up crying during, like things that are emotionally resonant and themes that he wants to explore, but it didn't, Really cohere. I felt like a lot of the scenes sort of were too directory self indulgent. You know, there are a lot of movies, The Green Knight, we did an episode on that I kind of felt the same way about, like, yes, I appreciate this as a piece of movie making. Was it actually an enjoyable experience given that this was trying to both be artsy and also be popcorn y, oh, good old fashioned monster movie? Like, I don't feel like those things combined in a very nicely organic way. So I got to say that. I wish he'd maybe had a little more editing or maybe just fill in some more of the details to make some of these plot things resolve and cohere a little more obviously. I don't want to say you should spoon feed it more to me. I can't appreciate art. I don't want to, I don't want to be that kind of person because I like artsy movies as well as the next person. That's why, you know, this is definitely worth seeing. I would recommend this to people, but don't expect this to be even like signs. Signs was just the thing I love about Shyamalan is this moods as he builds this mood and the music, and I did not feel, despite the wonderful cinematography and good soundtrack and things, I did not feel that this actually did. It was more confusing. Why did the alien just turn into a giant space kite? I don't know. There are just too many things that were not at that moment satisfying enough. Maybe I just need to see it two or three more times.
2: Yeah, I feel like when I first stepped out of the movie theater, I had some of the same thoughts. I was trying to make those connections, you know, between the sitcom chimp, that experience to the alien, to the humans as well. And I feel like the more I I saw it on Sunday, and I feel like the more I kind of sit with this film, and I've been doing a lot of thinking about it, the more I've been enjoying it, because he's given us so much to think about. And trying to make those connections between Jordan Peele has gone around, and he's been saying in a lot of interviews that this is a movie about spectacle. And it is. I can absolutely see that. But it's also very much a movie about who gets to tell stories and who doesn't get to tell stories. And it's about Hollywood and how Hollywood treats the people who who work in that industry. And it's also about can we tame nature? All of those things sound very separate, and it's been kind of a fun exercise to kind of try and make those connections. But he does not he makes us work for it for sure. He doesn't make it easy.
0: Okay, yeah, I think you're right. I'm just gonna say off the top, I don't think the Steven Yoon entire story just didn't work for me. It's really good ideas uh, that he's trying to explore. And he's trying to make mean something more, and I do think that the visual of this chimp kind of going crazy and killing humans and all kind of stuff is terrifying. It's a really good visual. I will say that Jordan Peele is a great visual director. Like, he's really, really good with framing. I saw the movie, I think, three times already. I saw them all in IMAX. Oh. Um, and watching it in IMAX. This is what I do, man. (laughs) You know, I'm not even in the right time. Don't watch movies for free. So I just watched the movies multiple times. (laughs) If you notice, a lot of the film is like gazing upwards. Like, and so you're seeing a lot of the upper part of the body of people. And so it's not like the normal frame that's oftentimes like down. You see the, you know, the entire body kind of gazing up. And watching, I think the second and third time in IMAX, I saw what he was doing with that cloud that's never moving. It's like always there, and even though other things are happening inside the frame, that cloud is like always there, like always there, hovering, watching over them. And watching it, you begin to see what he's doing visually. And I think he's a very talented visual filmmaker. I mean, I think going back to Get Out, it's like there's just like frames of that film. That kind of are indelible, that always kind of stick with me, even now. Us, not so I mommy. Mean, there are some things like the, the jumpsuits and whatnot in us, but the first and the third film that he's made are very visually striking. I think his writing could use some help. Here's the thing. I don't know if maybe the movie was edited, meaning I would have liked 30 more minutes. Make it a TV show. Yeah. No, I mean, I, no, no, not, not making no, five hours. No, no, <laughs> no. Okay. Don't get me started on the difference between films and TV shows. They are very, very different, but I would have liked a little bit more time because I think that there were like some connective tissue to the story that were, that I just felt missing. It just felt like Stephen Yoon's character was just wasn't fully fleshed out a little bit. And I think that there may have been some connective tissue that would have Tied what's going on with the family into what's going on with that character and why all this stuff kind of works together. So that's my feeling that there might be a longer cut of the film that would make it a little bit better. Because I think that the Steven Union character doesn't work, but everything else works for me. Now, I will say the film makes it work though. It's not one of those films where you get in and there's like stuff from the beginning like drawing you in. Like it kind of, it's very leisurely paced. And it takes its time. I have no problem with that, but I do think that that's why you're seeing so, so many strong reactions from these regular film goers. They're like, yo, I don't like this film. You know, I can't deal with this film. I don't, I couldn't even finish the film or something like that. Because most films are very aware of the fact that like you are accustomed to seeing things in very fast cuts and they kind of indulge that. Whereas this is very much so a, like Kubrickian kind of film. Where it takes its time. Like, like if you watch The Shining now, The Shining is very slow and the cuts are very slow. Same thing with older, like Steven Spielberg movies. So I was watching Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Fourth Kind, Third Kind, Fifth Kind, Sixth Kind. And that movie is very, very slow. Like, and so I think that he is beholden to an older time in Hollywood and cutting his films in that kind of way. Whereas we're just more accustomed to like, he watched The Great Man. It's like, Jesus, like 13,000 scenes and like, two minutes. Like, it's, it's just very, very different. I think that's part of what's going on there. But I do love this movie a great deal. And watching it the first time, I was really confused. Watching it the second time, I got much more clear. The third time, I loved it.
1: Well, I am wondering if Nicole's podcast is going to cover Close Encounters of the Sixth Kind, colon,
3: Tickle Fight.
0: <laughs> I didn't know what... I don't remember what the name of that movie is. Yeah. it's one of
3: those. <laughs> I take any excuse to watch a 70s movie on the podcast. My co-host would hate it. I'm going to bounce back off of that and Lawrence and, and say that I agree with you. Actually, I think the weakest part of the film is the jupe story because it opens it.
1: Can I just inject a piece of, of meta business that I said we're spoiling from the beginning. So that means people either don't care or have seen it, right? I'm wondering, should we actually explain some of these things in the plot rather than just referring to them?
0: Can you explain <laughs> it? Like, are you able to explain it? This okay there's a it. flying saucer that's actually eating people there's like an organic thing. you explain the
3: movie you explain it's it. like it's a, a giant jellyfish
0: <laughs> i think that's exactly what it is and okay um, i have ideas about why about what happened when it transformed i'm leaving it alone
3: but i interrupted Nick, Nick, nicole
1: <laughs> continue your thought about you i'm
0: sorry nicole
3: i think that openings and endings kind of like your bookmarks they're really important for an audience to kind of like know what they're in for. And for that to be the opening of the film kind of makes you think that this film's going to be one thing. And then halfway through with that whole storyline, it kind of abruptly ends. And then another storyline continues, which is I at first was like, oh, my God, this is going to be about cruelty to animals. I'm not going to be able to watch this movie or some commentary like that. But then all these other things get interjected. And then the Joop storyline essentially ends right in the middle of the film. And I think the second half of the film is very strong. I like the first half and I like the setups, especially like when the father dies and it's from a key that fell from the sky. That developing of the story is really interesting because you're like, what, how? Like you want to know more. He gives you just enough information for you to be like, okay, I need to figure out what's happening. And that's also good for like mystery. I'm a big fan of mystery. I was on one of your episodes of Agatha Christie. So like these little details that we get kind of are like these crumbs that we keep following. But once the dupe thing gets resolved, and it's kind of like, that's it. And the Gordy thing is resolved. And it's just more so about the trauma that maybe that character had and how it made him so alienated and how he turned into a museum, this crime scene, essentially. I just wasn't satisfied by that. And then it didn't really come into the ending at all. So it just felt kind of disjointed in the middle of everything else, which kind of ended up being a Western. I was all for that. But I didn't really understand why was it the opening? Why was it so important to that POV shot of this traumatizing moment from a person who wasn't the main character? I can't wrap my head around why he decided to open it with that. And it could just be that he had a dream and he fell in love with his footage. And that was something in grad school that they always said. They said, don't fall in love with your footage and don't fall in love with anything. You have to be able to let it go if it's not doing a service to the film. And part of me is thinking, did anyone tell Jordan Peele that maybe he didn't need that? Maybe he could have just let it go.
2: We call it killing our darlings, right? You got to learn how to do that. It's painful. I understand it's been, you know, a lot of people have classified, certainly the first half of this movie with the Jupe storyline is kind of clunky. But the more that I think about the theme of of what Hollywood does to the people who work for the industry, it makes more sense. And his storyline shows someone who didn't learn their lesson He didn't learn his lesson. He had severe trauma as a child, and he didn't learn from it. The way that he processes it, the way that he tells his story is through someone else's lens. You know, explaining what happened, the lens of an SNL skit is horrific. That's a horrific way to experience or to try and process your trauma. He never did that. And that's why he went the way that he went.
0: I think you're right, but a complete film about that would have been better instead of shoehorning that into this film about aliens. Because that storyline is rich, and you're right, but it doesn't fit here. The way that it gets resolved at the end,
1: right, it is this guy's hubris in creating a giant balloon of himself and in creating this Old West well with a photography. Like, those two elements that came out of that storyline or what resolves it for the main storyline. So at least his spirit is there, you know.
0: You're reaching with that, man. <laughs> I mean, you're reaching with that. I think that either Jordan Peele had another film in mind and wasn't able to get that film made and just like kind of shoehorned it here, or he's a little bit too self-indulgent. And that's where I started getting into the worry about the M. Night Shyamalan thing, because I think that part of what happened with him was that he was so talented. He was such a good filmmaker. He was supposed to be the next Spielberg and all that kind of stuff that no one really told him no for a while, and then he completely fell off. He's back now, kind of. I mean, old is good. But it took him, like, kind of going through the loss of his ability to tell the stories that he wanted to tell in order to him to kind of learn to kill his darlings. I don't know if maybe we're just missing part of the film. Because if we're missing part of the film, then that, that solves this for me. Because it connects a little bit better. Because there are themes that have to do with the Black experience in Hollywood. So the image at the beginning of the film is a Black man riding a horse. That's a real image from Hollywood history. We don't know the name of that person. We know the the name of the white person who recorded him, but we don't know the name of that Black person who rode that horse. It's a fictional name in the film, but in real life, we don't know who that person is. There's something going on there. And I think that that is related to the Jupe, as she said, storyline, but it's just not fleshed out there. And so I'm wondering if if we're missing something, because if we're missing something that explains it for me, it's either that or Jordan Peele's getting a little little self-indulgent. And if he's getting self-indulgent, I'm really worried about his future, because sometimes it happens in Hollywood where people are really, really successful early. And because of that, they kind of go off and do weird stuff. I mean, Coppola is one of those guys where he just kind of went off.
3: I will defend Francis Ford Coppola, though. He had a lot of very unfortunate things happen to him. A lot of his eighties movies are not that bad, though.
0: But what was that? What was that movie? I forgot that really self indulgent. I forgot what the name it was. But anyway, One from the Heart. Yeah, that's the
3: one. I'll tell you a story about that later. <laughs> let's let's save it for the
0: Fra- Francis Ford. I book, love
3: seventies movies. Don't start this. fight. I love that movie. So
0: I <laughs> admire. <laughs> I admire what he was trying to do. <laughs> But no, anyway, so sometimes people get a little self indulgent. And I'm worried about Peel because he's gotta have somebody in his camp. He's gotta have his editor, somebody saying no. You know, when I write, my editors tell me this part that you wrote doesn't fit. You gotta do something with it. You gotta cut it out. And I don't like them. I get angry about it, but then I look back at the piece and like, oh, that's actually pretty good advice.
3: The problem also is, is that Get Out was such a zeitgeist film. It was so impactful. When it's so good or when it just hits, you know, the pop culture world that hard, anything that comes after is going to be a disappointment. I mean, this happens all the time with musicians and their sophomore albums and whatnot. And most filmmakers have that kind of like second film, like Tarantino's Jackie Brown was just not as well received. Now people kind of think it might be, some people think it's his masterpiece. It's better. It's, better than Pulp Fiction, but keep
0: going.
3: Yeah, you know, and then he had to take a break. I'm sure he wanted to, but like kind of needed the zeitgeist to calm down. Whereas Jordan Peele, you know, two years after Get Out, he did Us, and then it would have came out probably last year for for the pandemic, and he's not slowing down. And I still don't know if the zeitgeist moment from Get Out has kind of simmered, and I don't know if that's more so like we're clouded by the fact that Get Out was so good and it just hit so hard when it did that everything else we're like, ah, it's not the level of Get Out. Is that unfair of us? Like it's so hard to actually see. Sometimes you know the distance makes us wise, and it's not enough time for us to look back and be like, "So is he losing it? Is he having too much yes men around him, or are we just comparing it unfairly to his masterpiece of a first film?" Okay, let me say something
0: controversial, and you guys are not going to agree with me. I know you're not going to agree with me. I know what I'm about to say is probably going to get hate mail. It's fine. <laughs> I'm getting hate mail because I I'm just let you guys know I'm a person who's known for having unorthodox pop culture ideas. I don't think Get Out is that good. I mean, I'll take that back. I think Get Out is good. I think that Us is better. I genuinely do. I think Us is a more accomplished film. It's a little bit more polished of a film. The idea for Get Out is better. But as far as the actual executing on the filmmaking, I'm going to say that Us is better. I really, really enjoy Us. And I think that the execution of this movie is actually better than Get Out because he's, he's a much better filmmaker now, much better filmmaker, more polished, more ambitious of a filmmaker now. It's just that Get Out was just such a really good idea that it kind of took off. But there are issues that I have with the filmmaking.
2: He also had a lot more money with with No. Nope. Yeah,
3: <laughs> you could tell he's more confident. He has more of a budget. You know, he's got people more on his side. He had to prove a little bit more of himself with Get Out. I feel like I didn't have any questions with Get Out. I had questions with us. I was kind of confused and it really took some like, I really had to dig deep in order for me to be like, huh, or read some reviews in order for me to kind of digest what I was experiencing. And same thing with Nope, but I'm more okay with walking away from Nope being like, I think that was just more so entertaining. I don't think I'm missing anything. Like he gave me some stuff and I'm picking up on what he's giving me. But other than that, I think he was just trying to entertain me, which is a kind of a nice break from the heavy subtext that was happening in us. I felt like it was for me. It was balanced a little better in Get Out. I feel like I needed more in Us. I needed more from that movie personally.
0: I felt as though Get Out was a little too cutesy. Like it was like this is symbolic of this. This is symbolic of this. I have all these ideas. Look at me being a philosophy postmodern thinker. Like that's a little too cutesy for me. I thought that Us was. It was definitely a better film as far as is concerned. The visuals are far more far better.
3: It was his best ending so far, I think. Sorry. Yeah, sorry, I do agree with I that. But I do want to say that, yeah.
0: Um, and also, Lupita Nyong'o was amazing.
3: Holy moly.
0: Amazing in that film. But I will say, though, Won all the awards. I liked, the I liked the questions. I liked the questions. I liked that it was open-ended. I liked that there were things that I had to dig into. I felt like Get Out was a little too easy for me. By the same token, I, I think that Nope is a film that leaves you with questions, and I'm comfortable with that. So, for example, earlier in our discussion, Mark commented on the fact that the alien kind of transforms and i had no problem with that because that is something that oftentimes happens in nature where when a person kind of so for example uh jurassic park in jurassic park there's an alien, not alien. <laughs> there's a there's a dinosaur that like spreads out when they're attacking like, like and they spread out i think that's kind of what's going on here that it's, it's an animal or it's a being that's kind of transforming because of the circumstances, because of how angry it's gotten. I will admit on the first viewing, it didn't make sense to me. But on the second, third viewing, it kind of made sense to me that this is a thing that's like now being attacked, like it feels threatened. And so now it's kind of transforming to represent that. I had no problem with that.
2: And that was another connection between that story and the jupe story with the chimp. The chimp was also showing
0: who it was. Interesting. Okay, now, I did not pick up on it. That's a good read.
2: I actually thought that the alien or the creature, the sky creature, I don't even really know if it's truly an alien or if it's something that he thought was, Yeah, you know what I mean? That it was just part of the sky, just like you said, Nicole, like the sky is, is this vast thing. But I wondered if it was just a way that it was show. I thought it was a beautiful creature that it was showing who it was.
0: Let me ask this question real fast. And this is to all you guys. Was it an alien? Right. I don't know. What do you guys think? What else would it no be? No idea. I guess that's the thing. It could have come out the water. It could have like always been up in the sky. It could have been an organic like like it could have been. It, it's never fully explained.
3: No. Yeah, I'm okay with it not being fully yeah, explained. No, that's fine. Because that scene with the woman in its mouth and you're watching her and you hear all the... it was absolutely terrifying, terrifying. absolutely effective. So all I know is that. It's terrible. And that's the opening scene, Nicole. It's not
1: actually the chimp. It's during the credits. It's this, this oh, vibrating, yes, yes. uh, <laughs> ventilation shaft, which yeah, we learn later yeah. is the mouth of this thing.
0: Jordan Peele does this a lot. Like he, he loves his opening credits. He, he reminds me of a Spike Lee kind of guy. Not so much to get out, but the second tooth is the second film, definitely in the third film.
1: So something that might make each film progressively, objectively better than the last one. It seems like the family drama maybe is done more convincingly. Now, it's not fleshed out. It might have been an interesting film to actually have this new film be substantially about the brother-sister relationship and what they thought of their dad and how her dad took her horse away from her. Like, there are these things that are, there are a few scenes that they mentioned and it sort of becomes an important thing which I was actually confused by at the time where he's looking at his sister and doing this thing, pointing at his eyes and pointing at her eyes. And yes, yes, I know it's a callback to the earlier thing, but the way it was shot, I thought at first he was actually doing that to the alien. Like, I'm looking at you, alien. So I don't know, maybe that's something that would be resolved on a second viewing. Even though it was done in a very offhanded way, I felt like for the most part, it was a pretty nicely... I don't know if realistically is exactly the way I would put it, because there's also sort of Twin Peaks aspects to his like Jupe and his wife and his weird kids like that is referred to in sort of a Twin Peaks. Like, these are a bunch of weirdos. I'm interested. I want to see. I want to have some scenes with their family. And why are his kids running around in alien masks and visiting the neighbor and scaring him? You know, I don't understand any of this, but it just seemed like that was something where in the relationship in Get Out with the guy and his girlfriend was a little more like a Key and Peel sketch, like that it was so one-dimensional and there to prove a point or make a statement, as you were saying, Lawrence. And I don't remember us well enough to say whether the family relations even mattered or, you know, what was the dynamic there before it actually got, you know, to the horror part. What do you guys think about this progression in terms of sophistication and being able to actually do a dramatic movie? Like, maybe he will for his seventh film... (laughs) You know, make, just like Stephen King eventually got around to, it's just some of his stories at least were just telling family drama sort of things that did
3: not have to have horror sci-fi or even humor elements at all. I thought it worked for me, but that's because the read that, it falls into the read that I took from the film. I think there's many different reads, so I'm not saying this is the read of the film. But I thought that a big theme is the absence of truth or kind of like uh, neglect of truth. Right? Why they're so desperately trying to get it on film and the importance of film and like taping something, having it, you know, as proof, you know, because then it makes it real, makes it true. As you said, the film begins from the mouth, the POV of the mouth, but then it goes into the image of the horse in motion, which some people say is one of the first examples, if not the first example, of a motion picture film, not even just like photos, like it's actually a film. And that is neglected. From our history books, we talk about Thomas Edison as if he's the one who did it, which is, we got to stop doing that, guys. It wasn't Thomas Edison. But like that's not something that is recognized and it's the truth, right? And his father dying in the way that he did is not recognized in a truthful way. So there's kind of like the search for meaning and search of like validation and truth. And even with their relationships with each other, like her horse being taken from her, and never really properly like explained to her and everyone just kind of like searching for something and then them finding kind of like the truth in the unexplainable in a weird way. in this thing that is just like, all we need to do is just conquer it without even knowing what it is or just going with their gut. That's how they can like find the truth. So it was interesting, you know, there's, the things of neglect and stuff, like I think that that really worked in their interpersonal relationship. Again, that was one of the things that I got from the movie. And I think that's what works about movies like this. And that's what works about like Kubrick movies. Maybe not so much M. Night Shyamalan because you get your own reads from it. And then at the end, he's like, actually, this is the read from it. And Jordan Peele in this one isn't trying to force a read on us. He's actually giving us enough that every single one of us is taking something different away from it. I thought that their relationship actually really worked. And I thought the comedy of it too was really effective. I found it really giving a nice balance to the film in terms of suspense, but then actually like having like a nice moment where it just, you know, laughed and just like had fun at the movies. I think it was effective.
2: I like their chemistry, I thought, between OJ and M was so interesting because at the beginning they were so opposite. I mean, they were opposite personality-wise. You know, he's so calm and staid and she's very outgoing and bubbly and funny. But their chemistry at the beginning, they just seem to be going in opposite directions. And it was really fun to watch them, their stories sort of come together. And then by the end, she is taking, she gets that money shot from an old fashioned way of making a motion picture, which I thought was really clever. I thought that was such a clever way for him to do that and for them to connect and for her especially to connect to that family legacy. You know, once again, that's something that she felt that she was not a part of.
0: I didn't mind the filming dynamics at all. I mean, I definitely know women who are like uh, Kiki Palma's character. They're, I mean, that's just normal. But I also know men like the Kaluya character, the men who are more comfortable with horses than they are with
2: people. <laughs> yeah.
0: That's a common thing. But normally, whenever it's shown in film, it's normally shown with white dudes like so it's like a yellowstone thing or something like that it's rarely shown that black men can be that way but there's a long history of black cowboys and i got some of my family and they're like that like they're just like really quiet they don't talk much they don't emote very much like still waters run deep all that bullshit i know guys like that uh and they're in my family and so that character it rung very very true to me and it's just it's just that we haven't really seen a black character like that captured in the film, I don't think ever, really. Like, there's not very many, like, Black movies that are, like, cowboy movies. And even those are, like, very stylistic, like the one that came out of Netflix, like, you know, a couple months ago. So I love their filmy dynamic. It felt really real. It felt really genuine. And also one of the things that Peel uh, is continuing to do is he's continuing to make genre films for Black people. Because the fact that people consistently see this thing, like, nope, I ain't doing it, that's a Black thing. I remember I saw a black widow in the garage the other day. I was like, nope, we're not doing that today. We're gonna call, you know, the pest control. We're not doing that. That's just what we do. And so he has the same thing happening inside of us, the same thing happens with Get Out. Like he's making these genre of films and places them in a black context. And I love it, man. I, I just don't think that there's been a lot of films like that. That you are making genre films that are genuinely genre films. But you're making the Black films at the same time, right? Normally Black films are like Menace of Society where Black folks are dying, or something like that. Or Boys in the Hood where we could get shot.
3: Spoiler for Boys in the Hood.
2: I love that yeah. M is the last girl standing. She's the last girl standing.
3: Yeah. With the horse in motion too, he's talking about like the absence of representation in our film history, at least. There's this scene when they're in the office and I actually noticed that there's a poster behind OJ and it's of Buck and the Preacher which is a Western starring Sidney Poitier and Harry Belafonte. Oh, yes. One of my
0: favorite movies of all time. He to come on and talk directed
3: about it. it Nicole. too, right? Talk
0: about it. Nicole. Yeah, Sydney Poitier directed that.
3: This is a film that people don't really know about, that doesn't really get talked about when you talk about the great Westerns of all time. You know, it's kind of like a hidden gem. And it's available now, actually, to purchase on the Criterion Collection has released it. I have
0: my, I have my copy. I have my nice. copy. have my
3: nice. But so he's like showing us too, like, this is one of his little things. And this is kind of like, you know, the nice things for people who pick it up or who are looking for it. But it's like, it's there, you know, we just need to acknowledge it or he's like doing his best too, to acknowledge it and and show that there has been representation that's just been cast aside that we've forgotten about and that we have to re-acknowledge. And that is also kind of like that commentary of film that we got in this was so great. You know, the appreciation of film, like the way that they were so excited when the cinematographer came and he brought a film camera and not a videotape. You know, that appreciation of what used to be and just the things that we've, again, forgotten about and neglected. I also just, as a film lover, as a cinephile, I was just all about that.
0: I love Nicole. We need to bring her on more often. I love her. <laughs> I love that she knows <laughs> for black films. Let's go, Nicole. I
1: love you. Let's do it, man. <laughs> we're covering this episode in part because... I wanted to do something on Westerns, and I thought this was going to be a black cowboy movie. What the hell made you think
0: this is going to be a black cowboy movie, dog? It's like a spaceship right there on the poster, man. I
1: don't know. Something, <laughs> I don't know what I heard that made me think this was going to be a cowboy movie.
0: Let's do an episode on The Heart of They Fall. We can do that, and we can talk about Westerns <laughs> and black stuff, but not, nope. Come on, man. I never I, thought it was going to be a black western.
1: Nicole, you were just saying that it actually turns out that it is a Black... West, that it is. That in, in the and, end, it kind and, of becomes... Of course, one, yeah. it is a
0: Black West. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it has some of the elements of sort of acknowledgement of past genres, like Yellowstone is all about my territory. Oh, people are trying to move in on my territory. and That's sort of what's happening. Again, it's not developed enough, but the thing with Joop's ranch and this failing ranch by our main characters... And what is the interaction between those things? They're both sort of playing a borderline Hollywood game, but that involves Western themes. And although one is dressing up like a cowboy, the thing that Jupe is playing on is not his time on the monkey show. That's sort of a hidden thing. He has a hidden backroom about the monkey show that very few people know about according to his own, but it's the fact that he was on this child Western show, you know, that was a big thing in pop culture, I guess at the time in whatever the early eighties or whatever was supposed to have happened. What do you think?
3: I just like that he's also like, oh, you know, Westerns are normally a bunch of white guys who are sheriffs or whatever. Like, no, we have Steven Yun as a cowboy in this movie. You know, we got black cowboys in this. It's like taking the Western and reclaiming it as something for everyone, which I feel like as a person who actually enjoys Westerns, I, I like Westerns. I'm about that. Because for so long, Western seemed like something that we wanted to distance ourselves from. But it's like, no, it's we created this and we could do whatever the fuck we want with it. So why not make it our own and make it a sci-fi Western, make it all this stuff. And what's nice about it, too, is that I feel like they were referencing the Italian Westerns and other like other people who are like, we're going to take this American genre and make it our own, which was also influenced by Japanese samurai movies. So it's just like has so many things going on. That I just for that at least I was like oh yeah let's mess with the western you know let's make it different things that we haven't seen before.
1: Jupe is a pretend cowboy, whereas the main characters are real cowboys, cowboy. but yeah they don't actually have cows. Like they are good with horses. But I guess
2: Jupe rides a real horse. I mean, he, they both deal with real horses. They're both in the entertainment industry. Jupe is all about just performance. Like his whole life is about performance. Yeah. He, he even is, you know, his kids are all in costume and performing all the time. And he's on a re, going to be on a reality show with his family. I mean, that's how he gets his meaning is through performance. Whereas the family, Kiki Palmer and Kaliut, they are the real deal. The more that I think about it, I think that juxtaposition between the Juke character and O.J. is to continue to show who's the real deal and who's not.
0: And also, he's, I think the film is kind of commenting upon, in a very subtle way, which is a little bit more pronounced, the fact that there's the idea of the American Western, and then there's the actual West. So the idea of the American Western is like white people, the ground's very clean, it's not covered with, you know, horse poop. And it's not terribly muddy. And then there's shootouts. And then there's like a good guy and a bad guy. And there's clear moral kind of lines. Whereas in the real world, the Western, the actual Western was full of people of color. Native Americans, Black folks, Asians were there. Uh, white folks were there too. But it's just like the actual Western was, was really, really complex. And I think that the film is commenting upon the performance of being a Western star and the reality of being a Western. Well, mm-hmm. not Western. Or being a person who's in the West. And I think the film is commenting upon that and I would have liked more because that's a very interesting idea. So I do think you're right, Mark. The film is playing with our ideas of Westerns. I just would have liked more development because it's an interesting idea. It's just not really developed very well.
3: I agree with that for sure. I would have liked more.
1: Yeah, I mean there are a couple of elements. So the stoic cowboy thing Daniel Kaluuya's character is has that sort of disassociation. He's, He's not able to connect emotionally with his sister very well, but it also kind of portrays it as not Stoicism as like a problem. You know, I guess in some ways it serves him well in his bravery at the end and things or, you know, this this overall approach. But we should recognize that to be like the Clint Eastwood classic Western character is not actually a very psychological healthy, you know. (laughs) It didn't get into that very much in here. I'm sure there's other films that explore that more.
2: But he was the hero precisely because he was a horse guy, because he wasn't a people person. That's why he was the hero. Because he didn't look up. He kept his eyes down to the ground. He knew not to look the alien in the face, just like he knew what to do with the horse and you don't stand behind the horse. Nobody listened to him. But that's precisely why I think he was the hero, which now that I think about it, you know, is that, is that toxic masculinity, <laughs> you know, is that it can be tied that kind of never let them see you smile or never keep a stiff upper lip has been classified as something that is kind of very masculine, very traditional. It's precisely because of that is, is why he and his sister survive.
1: There's also the issue of territoriality that, as I was saying, this is what entirely what Yellowstone is based around. And in here, he refers to the alien as territorial. There's gestures at something with Jupe's ranch and his ranch being maybe they're going to buy. I, I forget like if there are actual lines about that, but I, that was the impression that there was some sort of neighborly rivalry, but this alien is obviously territorial, and they have the chance. Like, why don't we just leave? Why don't we just get out of here? If we just drive away, it's not going to chase us. It wants to be here under that cloud. We can just go somewhere else. But no, this is our home. We're. Gonna, I don't know what the plan was. After we photograph it and get famous, you're just going to coexist with it? I, I don't know what the plan was.
2: <laughs> well, it's that idea of monetizing because they do want to stay, and they but they can't afford to stay, right? And so they wanted to monetize that opportunity. Which brings in a character we haven't talked much about, Angel from Fry's. He gets in on the game too. And Antler, the cinematographer, right? Was his name Antler? No, I can't remember. I think,
1: yes. I think Antler's or something. Yeah, is what I was seeing in the article. Something
2: like that. that, yeah. <laughs> and they're interested in monetizing. Same with Jupe, They're all sort of connected in that way. They want to monetize. They see this alien as an opportunity for them to get recognition and get money. I don't know. What did you guys think of the Angel character and how he got involved?
3: I thought he was okay. As a comedic like comedy relief, he didn't do that for me as much. But I kind of did like this bumbling little guy following them around. But for the monetizing thing, I think it's 100% monetizing. And then I also think that people feel like their lives don't exist unless it's on film. And that nothing is real or like didn't really happen unless we can photograph it and show it to other people. And so I think that that's part of also their agenda is like, well, we just need like, it didn't happen if we didn't have it on film. Like we have to do this just so people can like know it actually happened. You brought up Stephen Jung thinking about the Saturday Night Live skit. And that's how he remembers it as a skit, because that's why it happened, because it got immortalized as a skit for everybody to watch. Like nothing's real unless there's an image or a video or something of it. And so that's why he has this museum to be like, hey guys, remember this that you saw in the Saturday Night Live skit? So, yeah, I just wanted to like say that because you sparked that idea on me. But uh, other than that, Angel was fine. <laughs> I liked Angel.
2: No, I, but I did wonder about that, that shot at the end, their Oprah shot. I wondered if we were to see like a part two or the next day when she brings that picture, do you think that she would be believed? I wondered about that.
0: Because there's too many deep fakes out there. Like it's too easy to fake that image now maybe she can find a way to like prove to people that it was an actual genuine image but it would be hard i mean there's a lot of stuff out there that people make up to be honest that entire storyline i mean it's fine you know for the sake of the movie but as far as actually like convincing me that it would actually bring them fame and fortune i never believed it. it it didn't work for me
3: I think it was more so their desire. They needed it to be filmed. Whether or not people believe them, that's another thing. That's secondary. Yeah. Yeah. That's why the movie ends where it does. We don't see them get the fame and like it just it ends with the picture because they got what they want. And now they feel validated through their experience.
0: I mean, that's a very charitable reading. They kept say, saying to the entire <laughs> film that we need to get this caption on films. We can be rich. That was the entire idea. Oh, I mean, that's
2: yeah, what but that's 40 it's all people in their head, missing you know? or something. They, there's a bunch of people missing from that.
0: From that yeah. show. Something really bad happened there. People clearly died. Maybe they would be, be, you know, I believe. I don't know.
3: Well, then the TMZ guy comes up. Yeah. And he's just obsessed with getting the shot. Like, oh, did you film me falling over my motorcycle? Oh, my God.
0: That's another... This, this movie is full of too many ideas. That's another yeah. thing <laughs> that happened in this film. But, like, nothing happens unless you got it. Yeah. This movie's over overstuffed. <laughs> I'm beginning to like the movie less talking to you guys.
2: <laughs> oh, actually You're welcome. I haven't what was the deal with the shoe on the set that was just sort of remember the shoe It's the opening and the
1: closing it's the closing yes. image it's just magic that there was something in the the monkey business that there was the supernatural was at work because there's no way a shoe is gonna be like that. This must have been the hand of God or something coming in. The Twilight Zone. It makes it a Twilight Zone episode.
2: That's the one thing I haven't I've been thinking about it, but I can't figure out why or maybe it was because it was through Jupe's eyes. Like we're seeing it as a kid and that's the way he remembers it as almost this thing. That's not real, but that's all I could come up with. I have no idea.
3: Oh my gosh. I got to see it again. I didn't even remember. It was I didn't
0: even it. See, I've, I've seen the movie three times. I didn't even remember that.
1: Yeah. So I have a question for you, Lawrence, uh, given that you've seen it three times, the closing scene, I was listening in another podcast that was opining that maybe Daniel Kalua's character did not survive. That they spent so long, I, I recall like focusing on her face, like and then she sees him, and like maybe this is maybe that she is the last one standing, maybe. Did you see any evidence in seeing this multiple times that things were not as they appeared at the end?
0: I have a very dear friend of mine who writes her name is Allison Wilmore, and she writes about this movie called "Top Gun Maverick," and her theory about Top Gun Maverick is that actually Maverick dies at the very beginning of the movie, and everything that happens after the supersonic experience is all like a fever dream, or like imagine because it's too perfect, it's too realistic, and I don't buy that shit for a minute. I think that that movie is <laughs> honestly what's going on. And so with this, I heard a very similar conversation to that: that at the end, the ukulele is actually not there; he's actually dead, and that's bullshit. I don't believe that stuff at all. Like, I don't like those kinds of readings. What's actually happened, man, I was smoking weed. Like you know, have this idea. What's actually happened that Daniel Kaluuya is actually dead. I don't buy that. No, I've seen the movie three times. and All three times. I absolutely believe they do. It's standing right there. I don't believe that. I
1: just thought that might be something like the shoe. No. Or, or, and then they turn like and there's a giant shoe. I know. Look, it connects to the (laughs) other plot.
0: But but I will say that the shoe is interesting. I hadn't thought much about the shoe.
2: But I wonder if it's that connective tissue that you were talking about earlier, Lawrence. You know, it's like the idea of how OJ says we're not supposed to look up. And then that becomes the truth with the capital T all of a sudden. And it didn't have enough. There just wasn't enough breadcrumbing, I think, like for us to make that leap. But everybody went along with it. But just like at the end where he does end up looking up and apparently because he's a horse guy, he's able to break this, I guess, like breaking a horse, breaking an alien. (laughs) I don't know. And he's able to survive. But I did think that shot where he's just he's perfectly framed, you know, was a beautiful way to end it. But it didn't make a ton of sense.
0: It's a beautiful image. I love the image. I'm thankful for the image. I love imagery. It didn't make a lick of sense inside of me. Right. Film. Also, this is a, a side note. I feel uncomfortable calling this dude OJ. As many times as I've had to call this dude OJ, talking about this film.
1: I noticed we haven't referred to him by that name very often. We call him Kaluya. Of
0: course he is. <laughs> I mean, just, you got to call him OJ all the time. It makes me very uncomfortable.
1: Yes, because of course in life, if your name was OJ, you probably would just start going by Otis immediately, especially after your dad's dead. especially in a professional context. You would not be
0: able to pay me money to call me OJ. No, sir. I think on
1: some other podcast, I heard somebody refer to him as OJ Jr. I'm like, no, 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 you you missed the... You missed something there. Uh, We should wrap up. I think this was a pretty... A thorough treatment of this. Thank you all for coming. Any any last thoughts?
0: This is a thorough treatment, and I still feel like we <laughs> haven't covered some of the ideas that do that. This movie needed like 20% less ideas. It was
1: way too much. We can mention some of those ideas or the connections <laughs> in the after talk if anybody wants to stick around.
3: Yeah. Uh, Nicole, a pleasure once again. Plug your podcast one more time. Thank you. Yes, Remake Sweet boost, Revivals we are available on all platforms. Uh, check us out. All right, and folks can hear Sarah Lynn. They probably will
1: have already heard her in our performance of Timon of Athens, the Shakespeare play that she showed up and had to read. I gave you long speeches in that. Yeah,
2: there were some long (laughs) speeches. That was fun. That was a blast. All right, and thank you, Lawrence.
0: Always happy to be here, man.
2: Bye,
1: everybody. Get more Pretty Much Pop at prettymuchpop.com. Get bonus content for every episode at patreon.com slash prettymuchpop. You can also now get all the bonus content directly through Apple Podcasts by signing up for a paid subscription there, which gets you ad-free episodes and extra talking not only for Pretty Much Pop, but also for my other podcasts, Nakedly Examined Music and Philosophy versus Improv. Pretty Much Pop is part of the Partially Examined Life podcast network, and it's also presented by OpenCulture.com. Some places take you away. Some bring you together. Marathon does both. Marathon is Florida's family key with something for everyone. You'll find museums and wildlife refuges, wide open beaches, miles of warm, clear water, and the historic Seven Mile Bridge. For more about
0: Marathon and the latest safety protocols, visit flakeys.com slash marathon.